You're listening to Masters of Web 3, presented by Transac. Join your hosts, Sammy Start, Transac co-founder and CEO, and former CNBC money journalist, Megan DiMatteo, for an exclusive look into the stories behind the world's most well-known Web 3 startups. Each episode, we will interview the high-profile founders, developers, and innovators building the world's most widely adopted blockchain protocols. Hear the highs and lows they've experienced along their journey from the people behind the tech that's changing our world. Let's get into the show. Make it as easy as possible for mainstream users to buy crypto within your decentralized app or wallet. Onboard more users to crypto, handle higher transaction volumes, improve conversions, and increase revenue through a simple developer integration. To learn more, visit transac.com. That's T-R-A-N-S-A-K dot com. Well, welcome everybody to Masters of Web 3, episode seven. Uh, Today we have our co-founder and my co-host, Sammy Start, co-founder of Transac, and (laughs) and Atticus, who is the co-founder of StellaSwap. And over at StellaSwap, Atticus is spearheading the protocol strategy and design. Welcome, Atticus. Hey, everyone. Nice to meet everyone. Is, um, Is that a pseudonym, or do you just go by your first name in this space? I always like to ask. Yeah, I think that's a pseudonym. Uh, I think that that is something that encapsulates as in uh, what I, I'm I'm in charge of and what uh, basically a title given to me by my team. So so yeah, that's, uh, that's um, a cool name. So when I think of Atticus, I think of To Kill a Mockingbird, and that name is such it has such um, an iconic meaning in literature. But where did where did the name come from? Like, why did your team name you Atticus? That's a very good question because um, uh, one of our teammates uh, who's very into all this literary and uh, philosophy is and he is is a good as he's done a good job in, in in nicknaming people and also designing the uh, our logos our avatars so so I personally have not as in gone deeper into why Atticus but I'll just take it okay <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> I love that. Sammy, if the Transac team were to give you a nickname, what do you think it would be? <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know about that. Put you on that. the spot. I mean, I mean, um, <laughs> like, like if uh, if I had to come up with some nickname for myself, I don't. Know, I, I played a lot of RuneScape, and I had like a kind of on on screen name for that. So maybe like one of those names it would be like my. You know, that's that's kind of what I'm used to like going by online. So maybe something like that. Oh, interesting. Do you want to share it or, uh, or do you want to keep it anonymous? Um, uh, so, <laughs> uh, you okay. don't have to, it's I'll, fine. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll just, I'll just share it because it's probably pretty easy to dox me anyway. Um, but, uh, no, you know what? I'm going to leave it mysterious. I'm going to leave it mysterious. Okay, yeah. cool. That's yeah. your right. That's yeah. your right. You're entitled yeah. to that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and as <yeah>, our <laughs> listeners are not, we're not trying to have anybody get doxxed here from this, from this podcast. <laughs> um, as we know, you know, the purpose of this podcast is to talk about the founder's journey. So, um, you know, today we have two founders, two co-founders. We're going to dive into uh, Atticus, your kind of crypto origin story. 
And then I'll kind of let y'all riff a little bit about crypto on ramp because that is such an important part of both of uh, both of your missions. So um, let's start a little bit with Atticus. I mean, Sammy, we know your your origin story. You know, purchasing ETH back in 2016, 2017, writing your first smart contract, realizing that DAP on ramp and DEX on ramp was just a massive problem that you wanted to solve. Um, Atticus, what about you? Like, what was your first crypto investment? And do you remember the year? Yeah, it was uh, probably around 2016, uh, Bitcoin, right? Obviously, because I was actually in charge of, uh, I was actually part of a, uh, of a hedge fund and uh, they wanted to explore this new technology. So I was basically taking the lead into exploring this new technology. And uh, I was uh, basically, I read the Bitcoin white paper, uh, nine pages long and immediately I, I'm like, okay, this is the future of money, right? And immediately as in, uh, I invested what I had into that. At that point, it was like uh, a few hundred dollars, right? Uh, Bitcoin was at a few hundred dollars. So so I just went all in, basically, right? And that was the start of, you know, the, the crazy, the world of crypto, right? Everything is so new. And then you start to learn stuff that just completely amazes you. And from there, you know, uh, I, I sort of like locked in and say, you know, this is the space that I want to be in. This is the energy and the tempo that I want to wake up to every day. Right? And therefore, you know, that's where my crypto journey began. Yeah. So besides obviously the money, like the, the, the massive returns that all of the early Bitcoin people made. I mean, I'm not a jealous person, but I'm jealous of all the people who got into Bitcoin really early. <laughs> Only because I can go back to my life at that time. And, and I remember first hearing about it and being like, eh, whatever, and totally writing it off. And I was so wrong. And um, so, but besides, you know, obviously the the ROI and like just the massive, like the excitement and the euphoria of that. And also like people who got in early, were, I know a lot of people who founded companies because they were, you know, they were experiencing financial returns they would have never otherwise been able to make. Um, but beyond that, you know, there's a deeper level too. So like when you say Bitcoin was, you saw it was the future of money. Um, what was like the deeper level of that, that you saw, like the deeper potential of the, the technology? Uh, great question. Because, uh, one of the core utilities of, of, uh, as in Bitcoin, right, obviously was, um, it had a very good use case. You can transfer value from anywhere uh, from around the world, uh, in a, in a decentralized way and, um, relative, it's much faster than the banks and much cheaper than the banks, right? So it has an obvious use case. But once you start peeling in into, uh, for example, Ethereum or any other um, uh, technology, smart contract technology, and then you start to realize, okay, the implementation of blockchain right in our real in the real world is is something explosive that suddenly you can think of use cases with the use of uh, smart contracts that can really automate stuff. Uh, redefine or reimagine the way you do stuff, right? So at that level, when you see, okay, you know what? At the start, the kicker was, okay, there was a completely as in logical and real utility for Bitcoin as a payment system. Right? But once you think about, okay, the the potential of blockchain technology, then suddenly the world opens up, right? Into the whatever, whatever that we can do and novel structures that, you know, you can see in DeFi, that you can't see in traditional systems. So that is basically the excitement to keep on going. Yes, the, the financial RIs are definitely uh, a good kicker, right? But basically working at the forefront of innovation, 
you know, that's of Web 3.0, that's that's where you, you know, you want to get up every day to sort of like uh, do stuff. I love that. Now I'll let Sammy jump in here because both of y'all have um, a traditional, I guess, TradFi or just more like plainly fintech background. So for the both of you, I'd love to hear like when that moment came where you were like, I'm going to go all crypto. Like, yeah, I just kind of experienced the same thing as a, as a journalist, right? Like I've been writing about personal finance and then I finally had to tell my editors and my clients, like, you know, I'm not going to write about budgeting anymore. I'm not going to write about credit scores. I'm going to write about crypto only. And I kind of had to make a little bit of an identity shift over into this new and emerging space. And that comes with its own set of considerations, like, you know, how, how invested uh, do you want to be? How, you know, how, both feet in do you want to be? So maybe you could both talk about the, that choice for you. And we'll start with Sammy and then we'll go to Atticus. Okay. So so for me, it was, um, you know, I, I've always been a very um, practical person who likes seeing things in the hands of people. I, I like to see things being used. Um, and actually, like, like um, I started off, my, my first degree was in physics. And, and I, I really enjoyed physics from an intellectual point of view. But I didn't want to continue on it because it was like so far removed from the real world, you know, like the physics research you do is like so far removed from the real world. So when I, when I started in the blockchain space, um, it kind of had that kind of vibe of like, you know, when I, when I started writing the first small smart contracts and things like that, it kind of had that vibe of like, this technology is awesome, but it's like, it's so far away from being something that's like really, really usable. Um, you know, and and then did you do um, the the grand the grandparent test or the <laughs> or the tell tell your parent about it test to see if they could understand it like what made you no, think that no, it was like, uh too like out there e- even unusable? the even the me test it was like it was like you know there, there weren't really any any dapps that I wanted to to use you know because because there was just so you know it was so expensive to do any kind of transaction and then um uh, or at least like not using them in like a, in like a meaningful kind of every month type way. And um, so when I, when I started working on Transac, um, or like what eventually became Transac, uh, I was initially working on just like Web2 onboarding and how can you like help help normal apps to onboard their users. And the, the moment when it really clicked for me was, was like um, I started doing some customer research and speaking to users of, of decentralized applications. And... And even though there weren't like a whole lot of users, there were some. This this was like right at the beginning of 2019. There were some, and and they were passionate, and and like um, you know, that that passion kind of aligned with the theoretical side of it. And, and I was like, I was like, now is really the time to like work on this full time, you know, because because this number is only going to get bigger. Like the number of people who are using it, we're only going to get bigger. And and I would say like up until that point. Crypto was was just something that you buy and speculate on, you know. Uh, it, it wasn't something that you actually used. So, so I would say like January, February, two thousand and nineteen was like that turning point for me. Oh, good question. Uh, as in back, uh, I was from a financial uh, background, right? So, um, you know, when I was as in the the core as in. Um, the core of my time was actually spent just looking at Bloomberg all day and just analyzing data, you know, uh, you know, but, you know, on the side, I already had, uh, since my university days, uh, since my, um, you know, uh, my first job being in, in, in a hedge fund, 
you know, I already had, uh, as in, I already knew about Bitcoin. I already invested in Bitcoin. But obviously, once you get into the corporate world, you know, you wanted to sort of like see what you want to do first, you know, just to see how it works out. Uh, and, you know, it got to a point where, you know, in my financial analyst position, well, I'm like, you know what, I'm doing this day in and day out, you know, and why not, you know, I'll just start my own, uh, for example, at that time it was a blog, right, about cryptocurrencies, explaining crypto and blockchain. Uh, and, you know, with the help of my friend, as in, uh, who's from the US. Um, so basically what we did was we scaled uh, the blog, right? Uh, uh, as in within a year, we had millions of users, uh, million, millions of readers of, of, uh, of the blogs. And then we sort of monetized. Uh, and within a year and a half, as in we sold that to a, to an American uh, media firm, right? So um, so that was the, the first big break, right? That, let, that allowed me to sort of, okay, you know what? Now I can like try to do uh anything that i wanted right so uh then an opportunity came where there was a you know a, a crypto startup uh, here in the middle east which was at that point unheard of right so uh, within a span of three years as in um i i sort of like helped create uh, one of the first uh regulated crypto exchanges um, in the middle east uh, so part of my job it's facet F A S E T asset with an F, right? So uh, basically spearheaded the the blueprint and the product roadmap, and basically the the entire product that you see as a crypto exchange. So that's when I, I sort of like dive deep and you know created something within the crypto space. Now, obviously after after that after you've worked in a centralized exchange uh, business, right? Uh, you sort of feel like there's a lot of, and, I, and I'm pretty sure um, Sammy would feel this, is it, the, there's a lot of um, limitations in terms of uh, working with various stakeholders, uh, compliance, you know, the government. So I'm like, you know what? I want to explore the real crux of innovation, which is in DeFi. So I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's, let's do this, right? And then StellarSwap was, was basically the brainchild of that with my, with my teammates. I love that. This is perfect. And Sammy, I, I want to let you touch on that too, because from uh, I spoke to Sam, who is on the product side of Transac, who described Transac almost as like the designated driver for the DeFi for the DeFi community, <laughs> because <laughs> because it's like Transac is the one that's like talking to the authorities, talking to the regulators, you know, getting the appropriate licensure yeah. so that. People yeah. can onboard to these more unregulated spaces. <laughs> uh, do, I don't know if I if uh, do you want to keep that in, Sammy? I don't know if that's something we're publicly talking about Transact uh, as. But <laughs> talk a little bit about that tension, about that funny. relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, Atticus, I think you're a smart guy. Like, like you avoided a lot of pain uh, from, you know, like you know, regulations. Uh, working with like big banks and like all these things is very painful process right and and um if you're if you're like a very product focused person you want to build like cool products and get them out there you don't want to deal with those things right like like, like uh, i think a lot of a lot of people who start companies things they really enjoy is like talking to customers and like writing and code and shipping products right Th those are like the really fun fun things and and um and so yeah i guess in, in a way we, we kind of uh 
designated driver. I never heard that uh, that, that analogy. But <laughs> yeah, I thought good. it was pretty genius because you know it, yeah. he was like, "We're still fun. We'll still go to the bar with y'all, and like we'll still, but we'll make sure that everybody is responsible, and that you know if we get pulled over, we know how to talk to the authorities. Like you know, because you guys are you guys trans. That's a very intentional choice for Transact, right? To kind of be the one to go through those those regulation requirements. Yeah. Is there is there any like is there any job description where you get paid to to like take pain on behalf of someone else? You know, <laughs> like like uh, I'm trying to think of like mm. another analogy. Um, I, I don't know. All I can think of is like those uh, those labor and delivery belts that you can put on men to make them understand what their partners go through when they have a baby. <laughs> Yeah. But I don't know that that yeah. exactly translates in this moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe this is a good chance for you guys though, to, to kind of riff on that and illuminate, illuminate that process of onboarding onto, onboarding onto a DEX. Because from what I understand, Transact has a couple of different ways that you can integrate the on-ramp. Um, and you can do this, like people can just go on Transact's global widget website and just buy the, the currency they need and then move it over to the respective wallets. But and then there's also like in-app on-ramps that Transact can build. Uh, so maybe you can riff a little bit on what that looks like in a in a decentralized exchange. Like, what's the user experience like? Yeah, I'd, I'd actually love to hear from from Atticus point of view. Like, like how how do they like like you know when they speak to their end users? Like, how I'm sure, which I'm sure you do. Like, how do you see their their onboarding journey? And like, how do people find you? And and what are the struggles they face? I, w- I would love to hear that. From, from your own life. Yeah, good question. Now, as in, amazingly, as in, quite a lot of our users are basically new users, right? Which, you know, hasn't really interacted with the crypto space before. So we were quite surprised by it because um, that we, 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 our assumption was that almost all the users would already have basic knowledge in terms of. Um, how to use a MetaMask, right? How to uh, bridge in coins, stuff like that. And uh, basically interaction with the DeFi, which is quite a like a, a high bar for normal people, right? Now, one of the things that we sort of like w- was advantageous to us was that uh, given that we had a background in centralized exchange, so part of the job, right? Or part of the things that we had to do was to make it very simple to use us. Right, so they, they can they can actually buy cryptocurrencies very easily, very intuitively. So what we did was basically extrapolate that that skill set into into Stellar Swap, right? And to to basically re redefine the complex user flows of DeFi and just abstract away the complexities, right? So you you, you can actually see how that manifests in our, in our, in our user journey. Now, but I think a major part of the issue, uh, which uh, in this case, transact uh, solves right is basically the most important, which is the first step, right? Which is okay. How do I even get the first crypto to begin with, like Bitcoin or Ethereum, or in this case, in this case, a uh, Glamour, which is Moonbeam's native token, because that's that's used as gas, right? So, getting the first uh, as in uh, cryptocurrencies usually means using your bank account or your credit cards, your debit cards, right? And that is the point of fiat on ramp that Transact is, and which is often a very sort of like regulated, uh, um, very compliance, uh, uh, 
compliance heavy. And that's what we love to sort of like uh, integrate with, right? You know, we don't have to do that hard part, that heavy lifting, right? And that is where you can see right now after we've sort of like uh, uh, integrated with Transact, you can see, okay, interestingly, many are using uh, that as the first step, which really aligns with uh, the target market that we have for new users. So that makes life much easier for us to sort of like... Uh, get an end-to-end -end, uh, user journey uh, for, for the decentralized world, for the decentralized finance. And, and that is where we're sort of like continually optimizing as well. Cool. And, 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 and you guys do most of your volume through, through your website. So you're, you're, kind of, you're interacting directly with the user, right? Because I know like a lot of DEXs are doing kind of more B2B and, and they're like going through other applications, but you, you guys are like trying to have a direct end, end user relationship, right? Yes, exactly. Yes, correct. How do people typically find out about, about um, your app and how, and how do they like, get there? And like, maybe what's, what's like a, you know, give us like a user persona of like their journey and, and like how they get there. Yeah. So the user acquisition is sort of like something which, you know, okay. In, in, in traditional businesses, user acquisition is, pretty standard. But in DeFi, user acquisition is, is basically a black box, right? And and the, the core, I mean, uh, fortunately or unfortunately of, of user acquisition is really about, at first, it's about bootstrapping liquidity, which is incentivization, right? Basically, you look at the APRs and uh, basically what we did to, to attract sort of like to, to gain visibility, right, is to ensure that we get listed on aggregators, Right, DeFi yield aggregators where you know people are, have already been staking and they say, oh, there's a good opportunity in this chain on this DEX, so there's greater uh, visibility, visibility on us. So uh, that is one of the main ways that sort of like we attract uh, users. And also obviously uh, with regards to our uh, social media presence, it's, it's something that we're really strong at, you know, especially leveraging on partners, uh, partners marketing and partners infrastructure and network marketing that is something that we've been successful in doing in terms of social media presence even though there's a lot of limitations for uh crypto DeFi protocols right because as you know twitter facebook you know it's very hard to get uh, uh ads across so that is one of the limitations that we face yeah so there's, there's an interesting um interesting kind of use case here which you know I, I'm, I'm sure people might know this already, but but um, uh, Transact is now integrated uh, in in the Stellaswap app, right? So so you can now buy Glimmer like in Stellaswap, and and this solves like a pretty interesting use case, which is that my my feeling, and correct me if I'm wrong here, my feeling is is that most of the people who use Stellaswap have some crypto experience, right? This is not something that like a total total newbie is going to use because it's quite like even the things you're describing there, like if you're on if you're on some kind of uh, like Dex aggregator, or if, if you're on some kind of like uh, Coin Gecko page or something like that, you're already like kind of in in the rabbit hole a little bit. But um, and and they may have like a, a wallet set up. They may have like a MetaMask or or like some other type of wallet set up, right? Um, but then, like when they get there, they they need to have um, Glimmer, for example, or they need to have um, some token on on the Moonbeam network, right? And so. And so uh, it's really a convenience thing of like, of like, 
um, the users here, you've got their attention, you, you, you've got them on your app and, and that's valuable to you. So, I mean, traditionally in, in like B2C FinTech, um, you know, a customer acquisition cost uh, in some spaces can be like worth hundreds of dollars. So just, just getting the user there is worth like hundreds of dollars to you. Now, obviously that varies by from app to app, but now you need to actually like capture their attention. And, and let's say they don't have tokens on, on the Moonbeam network. Um, you know, like, are you going to send them away? Are you going to uh, like get them to buy on an exchange? Are you going to get them to try and like bridge it somehow? Um, I mean, bridge, you can do it like within uh, there. So, so like you need to find a, a way that's like optimized to kind of get them in, right? And, and so um, it's, it's kind of a, an interesting use case where it's not like total newbies, but, but you're trying to like onboard them into like maybe a more niche area of crypto that, that has like more benefits to them. Which is interesting because I think when, when a lot of people think of transact, they think of like, um, you know, onboarding beginners or onboarding newbies. But but in this case, I would say it's like not not totally like that. Yeah, convenience is is a huge part. It's a huge thing. Uh, users love conveniences, and and interestingly, a, a good stat uh, from Stellswap is that uh, two thirds of of those that has already transacted uh, on our website um, via uh, Transact, they actually un- are buying as in coins other than Glamour. So basically, it's just a convenience point to start staking any coins uh, uh, on, on, on a platform. And this is all super helpful information when I think about, like the next question I was going to talk to you about was like, what made you choose Moonbeam? What made you uh, choose to, to position yourself in that particular niche in the crypto market? And, when you when you think about you know kind of our multi-chain future, I think what Sammy's talking about is really important because user experience is going to dictate who stays in what ecosystem for kind of the long haul. Um, and not every single layer two and not every single layer one is going to be here, you know, in twenty years. Um, so there's an incentive right now to try to to try to make that user experience as convenient as you possibly can if you want your your ecosystem and your and your protocols to to kind of last. So what made you like taking all of that into consideration? What made you choose uh, to position yourself where you are? Which is correct me if I'm wrong. That you have like the Polkadot ecosystem, and you have Moonbeam underneath of it, the Parrot chain, and then Stellaswap is between um, Moonbeam and Ethereum, right? Got it. Yes. Um, so uh, okay. back in 2000, <laughs> I drew a little diagram. <laughs> oh, that's cool that's cool that's yeah. great uh, but that's a good question because back in 2016 at the end of 2016 uh, Dr. Gavin uh, basically one of the co-founders of Ethereum right? he wrote a white paper on, on Polkadot right unveiling Polkadot and at that point we were already like okay this is going to be the next big thing right even though it took like five years to materialize right but we know the um, the merits the technical merits of it right and therefore, we were sort of like waiting for that to happen. Right? And coincidentally, that was at the point of, okay, you know what? A transition from a centralized exchange to, uh, as in the DeFi world. And, you know, suddenly, you know, okay, the uh, Polkadot ecosystem is opening up, right? And then you have a look at the uh, main players, right? Which is about to launch, you know, Moonbeam, Akela. You know, there were five, uh, you know, five parachains, right? Which went through the crowd loans. Uh, so we felt that... Uh, the the best fit which we see in terms of gaining the traction, especially in terms of developer traction, right, 
it's going to be um, uh, Moonbeam uh, because, you know, the multi-chain approach and most importantly, the EVM compatibility of Moonbeam, which allows, you know, you as in developers to port whatever they've been working on their code uh, from Ethereum, which is the largest uh, developer um, ecosystem, right? Uh, into Moonbeam is going to be a piece of cake, right? So that's where we felt, okay, since it's very easy to extrapolate code, so Moonbeam is going to be the, the hub of uh, activity and therefore that entails users will come, the money will flow in. So that was the design decision behind Moonbeam. Right? And obviously we talked to uh, the Moonbeam for, uh, team, including Derek, and we, we, we love the team and, you know, we sort of like uh, said that, hey, we're going to build on on Moonbeam and basically the rest is history. I love that. And when you're when you're taking these all of these factors into consideration, how much does being the first matter? You know, I, I we interviewed um, the founder of Quixotic last week, and one of the reasons that they decided to build that particular NFT marketplace on optimism was because they they saw um, an engaged user base, but they didn't see a marketplace that existed yet. So they wanted to really be the first. And he's, you know, he said that there was a little bit of a of an incentive there to try to be the first because once, you know, once you do it well um, and establish yourself in that in that space, then it's just very advantageous. So, how much did that motivate your decision? Yeah, I think being the first first to market is a, an extremely important factor. Obviously, because then you set your foot on the ground and, you know, there is instant recognition, right? And then you build your way out of there. So so that is very important for us. In fact, uh, we sort of like sort of like timed it very well. So when Moonbeam launched on 11 January, as in a few hours later, we, we launched. So that made us one of the earliest protocols to launch or even the first decks to launch. So there's something that we're proud of to be the first, right? We want the first. Um, but uh, I think what's important in terms of okay, you already have the first mover advantage, right? And and more is coming, right? The the, the entrance, the barriers to entry is very low, right? So what, as in what should you do to set yourself apart? So I guess that's where the piece on on creating real value, on uh, being thought leaders, right, in this space, really helps in consolidating uh, your first mover advantage. So that is something that we've constantly as in focused on. Sammy, when it comes to OnRamp, tell us, what, where did Transact fall? Like, how does Transact's timeline compare to some of the other options that are out there? And what are ways that uh, fiat OnRamps are, are kind of distinguishing themselves? There's so many variables. There's what types of currencies are available. There's what types of licensure that you have. There, there's so many ways to distinguish yourself in that, uh, in that space. So how are you thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely want the first, um, you know, I think, I think when, when, when we started the company, um, there were a few teams out there who, who had like already been working on it for some time. Uh, and, and there was one company in particular that had, that had been working on it for years and years and years. And um, having said that, though, I, I think like Transact is quite different from, from like a DEX, right? Because a DEX, you can, you can spin it up and and as long as the code works, that thing is going to scale, right? If, if if it does if it does a good job for like you know a thousand dollars a day in volume, it's it'll it'll do a good job for like a billion dollars a day in volume, which is like uh you know that that's that's unheard of for like a startup, right? I, I mean um for 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 a web two startup, you know, like, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> wouldn't yeah, that yeah. be great? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, it's it's just incredible, you know, like like how fast uh, totally decentralized companies can grow, like like no scaling issues. Uh, well, some some scaling issues, but like like not the traditional ones. So it's like very very different type of company, I would say. Um, with with something like Transact, like uh, there were other companies that were doing something similar to what we were doing, but. Uh, there's just like there was just like so much that they hadn't solved yet um and 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 even now like like you know the, the i would say the space is relatively um immature you know as compared to how it's going to look in like a few years time because there's so much like like for example it took us like a year to get our first bank account just just to like start processing transactions um and and so because no one wanted to work with with crypto like 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 um this this is the the designated driver type stuff here is is like is like uh no no one really wanted to 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 touch us and then you know on the compliance side there's a whole bunch of challenges that we've had to solve in terms of you know doing the risk operations it's not just get getting the licenses it's not just getting that like piece of paper but it's it's like actually getting the um the risk operations in place to actually be compliant and be safe for the users is very very challenging and then and then to do that at scale is is um is even harder right so in in the early days of the company we were doing like you know obviously when we first launched it, it was like a few transactions per day and we can watch each of them manually and if if something is going wrong we can stop it pretty easily but when when you're doing like um so many thousands of transactions per day um if something's going wrong then like you know it can go wrong in a big way and and you might not be able to spot it before it's too late so and so you have to build like when you're yeah when you're looking at that i remember you saying that originally that was happening in a slack channel you were getting automatic notifications for every transaction uh have you been able to automate that <laughs> <Adding that>. <laughs> <laughs> it was like right, feels the pain <laughs> right 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 in the early days um it was it was uh it was quite manual i will admit but uh these days it's 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 very 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 automated like 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 um and and that's that's in so many different aspects. Like liquidity is automated, payment reconciliation is automated. Um, so many things are automated. But even even though we have you know a huge amount of engineering resource on that, there's still some manual work that needs to be done. You know maybe uh, a payment is kind of stuck for some reason and it, and it needs to be manually checked because the person's name like doesn't fully match what it's supposed to. Um, uh, or or you know maybe someone's KYC is kind of borderline and it needs to be manually checked or, you know, so th there's, there's still like quite a bit of human operations involved in that. And, and Transact has like quite a big, um, like human risk and, and, and customer support operations team, which, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Atticus, but, but like a company like, um, like StellarSwap wouldn't need to have a huge amount of that because it's, it's most, you have like community stuff, but, but you're not like, you know, you're not like uh, holding a user's hand and, and like fixing transactions for them because like the smart contract is a smart contract and, and it, and it does what it's supposed to do. So, so like even, even now I, I would say like, unlike, unlike a DEX um, it's that there's definitely like, there is some first mover advantage, but I, I would say it's also like um, the company that's able to scale and ship product at a, at a better cadence um, to a better quality than the competitors is the one that emerges. And I think that's also why, why Transact is, is emerging as a market leader, even though we weren't the fastest, because I think we're just, we're just shipping very reliably, very 
well, uh, very good quality, safe, secure, compliant code. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's an interesting comparison. I hadn't really thought about like the decentralized a decentralized business model compared to a centralized business model. You're right; it is almost like comparing apples and oranges. <sighs> so many. So, given all of these challenges, I, I'd like to ask the two of you: How do you? I think I think all of us who are drawn to the Web three space tend to be analytical and logical and somewhat even algorithmic in our thinking, right? Like we think if if I do this, then this should be the outcome. And if this is the outcome consistently at a certain point, it can scale to this level. And that's kind of how you have to think in the business world. Um, but there are challenges. And so how do you kind of regulate your your emotions throughout the whole process, throughout the ups and downs? Like how do you stay motivated and focused? And um, how do you keep perspective when it looks like things aren't going to work? And can you think of a specific moment when that happened? We'll start with Atticus and then we'll go over to Sammy. Sounds good. So um, I think uh, right now the most important thing is actually data for us, right? Because, um, you know, there isn't a white label solution that we can tap into, you know, where there's, a, there's, you know, for example, an internal dashboard of metrics for DEX to use, right? So all of that is going to need to be custom made. And um, we're very data oriented, you know, especially me, because the thing is, we need to look at data to see what works and what doesn't work, right? And building the entire data infrastructure is quite honestly a pain uh, because everything is custom and you have to sort of like engineer your own way to to get the data from the smart contracts on the blockchain and then what, whatever permutations of data you have to manifest it uh, on, on the front end. So that was uh, an initial challenge, right? Because data is the most important thing for us to make good decisions so thinking rationally on how for example uh, our strategies and you know what we should do or what we should not do is um is often predicate uh, predicated by by good data that we have already sort of like uh, established so i th i think going forward you know it's just optimizing on this you know and and in in the defi world right we can't expect you know uh solutions to be tailored by us you know white label right like you like you would in the traditional space uh, but often that is me that is perhaps one of those uh, full, very fulfilling things where you know you build with your own you know you build your own solutions fit to yourself so i think that has been a very enriching uh, experience yeah awesome i i mean um i i, I would i would agree with that i think data is super important and I think something else that's important is also thinking about um, kind of what's the what's the leading indicators of data and what's the following things, right? So every company has some North Star metric, like usually related to revenue, but not necessarily revenue. So um, I think for, for both of our companies, it's probably volume and, and maybe StellarSwap is also total value locked as well is, is another one. Um, but um, the... the, the the, the funny thing about running a company is that um, the actions that you're doing like today or even this month or even this quarter um, are not necessarily correlated. Like your performance, like this, this recent time is not necessarily correlated with like the results you get right now. So, so you can be doing an awesome job, um, but, but your volumes can be down that month because like, um, 
because the like global market is just not really interested in crypto right now. And 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 the the opposite can also be true, right? Like you can you can be doing a crappy job and and then like and then like your volumes can be flying and you're like, "Ooh, I'm a genius," but but like you're not actually like moving the company <laughs> forward. So so that's such like, a good also, point. And so, and then add on like kind of the the way that you're feeling on top of that too. Like you could be feeling really great and confident, like you did a wonderful job, but the but the results aren't going to necessarily reflect that. Or you could be feeling like utter crap and just like totally beaten up and disheartened but your you know your metrics might prove that you're in a good spot you know yeah which is so. which is i would say is also like it's also a really big p- part of being a founder is like is like going in the direction that you think is the right way even if even if the whole world is telling you like that's wrong and and like you know the data is telling you that's wrong and and like and like the market is not there and, and i mean as as you get bigger that gets less extreme but you still have to do that to some extent you still have to go against the grain and 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 I would say, um, you know, listening to customers is also another nice compass. There is, is you know, seeing what customers want, and and um, especially when when any customer is really passionate about something, when they really love something, that's that's a sign you're on to like a, a good direction. Um, but but yeah, like, like have it you can ever, be tough, you know, have you ever thought you were following your instincts or your intuition and found out that? it was not like, do you know what I mean? Like, have you ever followed your gut and have, and had it been wrong and, and had, had that experience kind of recalibrate you to what your actual instincts were telling you? You know, <laughs> um, I think the, the instincts, the instincts um, are usually right. And, 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 and that's not, that's not like a brag or something that's unique to me. I think that like um, most most ideas or mo- most like directions that founders work on are probably valid and, and they will at some point, you know, happen. It's just the way, it's the way that you get there that, that I think is, is, um, is going to be wrong, you know? So, so like, um, uh, you know, may- maybe like going, going for like the wrong type of customer at the wrong time or, or like going for, going for, um, the wrong feature at the wrong time or, or having your focus too narrow or having your focus too wide, you know, like all, all of these kind of things I think um, can be wrong, but, but, but I think the worst, the worst thing you can do as a founder is to just sit on the fence and to like not make a decision. So, so like sometimes it's better to be wrong, wrong than to be like, you know, safe and sit on the fence as well. Yeah. Well, cause it goes back to the data. Cause if it's wrong, you can quickly learn <laughs> that it's wrong and then re and you know and then iterate and pivot as ne- as needed whereas if you were to just sit and wait for kind of the aha moment to tell you exactly what to do uh, you know a month might go by and in that time you could have been getting you, valuable data you you can also be in in a in a local maximum right so so maybe you've like totally optimized the way that like the position and, and color of this button to like maximize the amount of conversions <laughs> that you're going to get on that page. But like, maybe you shouldn't be doing that page at all and you should be doing something completely different. So, so uh, I think data is, is um, important, but you also have to like look at, you have to look at some of the like logic and, and anecdotes and, and, and like talk to customers and, and, and you, you might be missing something if you try to optimize too much. Yeah. Yeah. Atticus, do you want to add anything on to that? You agree, as in you have to have a, a general structure, a logical structure in your head, which is often intuitive, right? And then uh, let the data permeate into that, that structure 
so that then you know because data in itself you need to make sense of it right and to make sense of it usually you have to have a conceptual framework for your thought process to see how things should work out in your mind because one good thing about uh, being in the DeFi space is that we are also users so we know what we want we know what makes sense you know so it's very easy uh, for us to sort of like know okay what can work in our minds and what cannot work yeah i love that awesome well you guys we have about 8 minutes left and i thought we could close with a fun lightning round of explain it to a kindergartner <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Atticus, I do this sometimes. I ask people to explain explain advanced level concepts to, to me like they would to a child, basically, just to kind of bring the conversation down and um, and yeah, just you know help out our audience members, some of whom might be you know developers and have some literacy in the space, but really just kind of simplifying those those uh, higher level concepts in a way that's super conversational. <laughs> so there's no there's no like wrong answer, and you don't have to explain it literally like you would to a five-year-old, but you know, this will be fun. So the first one is wrapped, wrapped crypto. So at, we'll start with Atticus and we'll go to Sammy. Like how would you describe wrapped crypto as in like wrapped ETH or wrapped glimmer? What does that mean when, when a crypto is wrapped? So basically wrapped is literally wrapping something, right? And, and for in, in the crypto space or in the DeFi space, right, uh, you need a wrapper. You need sometimes to wrap the coin so that this coin can be used in this ecosystem, right? If you do not wrap a coin, it's very hard because of uh, it's not compatible with the ecosystem, right? So, so wrapping is usually, quite literally, is just wrapping something to make it work. So basically, if I have ETH and I want to use it in a different ecosystem, I have to wrap it up in in a in a container that would allow it to move into a different ecosystem. Uh, actually, if you want to use Ethereum and in DeFi, right within Ethereum itself, it has to be wrapped because uh, Ethereum in itself is not ERC twenty uh, because it was created before the ERC twenty was developed. So technically, yes, for for you to use Ethereum it must be automatically wrapped and then you can basically use it across Ethereum to stake, to yield farm, to lend and borrow. So basically to, to increase its use case or to make it work. Okay, so if I'm just holding it, it's not wrapped. Like if it's just sitting in my wallet, it doesn't have to be wrapped. But if I want to do stuff with it, if I want to stake it, if I want to lend it, if I want to use it to take positions, then I have to wrap it up. Yeah, technically, <laughs> yes. Okay, 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 cool. Sammy, so I, I guess, I guess, um, I'll start with the gifted five year old and then I'll go to the actual five year old. So, so like <laughs> yeah. the, the, um, I, I guess like you, you have, you have, uh, cryptos, which are like tokens that they're, they're like, um, they're like just, uh, things that you have on the blockchain. And, um, in, in order to use that, uh, token for certain things it needs to meet a set of criteria it needs to have certain properties um and um, an example of, of one of those properties could be like erc20 compatible right so it needs to have like um this function and this function in its smart contract otherwise it won't work in this in this environment so the the wrapped the wrapped crypto is is exactly the same as the as the previous crypto 
um, and, and it entitles you to that previous crypto, except it has like a few extra properties on top that make it compatible with with that environment. Um, okay. I'm trying to think of I'm like a, an a analogy. Puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like, like, that's, yeah, like, that's where like, my head goes. Like if you have a bunch of puzzle pieces that all have weird random shapes, they won't fit together, but if you take the same puzzle piece and just make the shapes fit, then, then it can work in the larger ecosystem. That's where my head goes as a puzzle. <laughs> I guess, I guess it's like, okay, let, let's say you had like a candy because like five-year-olds like candy and, and you, and you wanted yeah. to like use, use that candy in space then like you would need to add some extra properties in, in like a space shuttle. You would need to add some extra properties Ooh. to that candy. So you would need to like have a clip so that it can clip into your like space shuttle storage. And it would also need to be like wrapped up so that it doesn't like float away into the cabin or something like that. So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that's, that. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The next one yeah. is, <laughs> the next one is, um, this one might be too hard. I was going to have you guys explain automatic market makers, but I think that's too hard for the last four minutes. Okay, what about yield farming? We'll do yield yield farming. Explain it oh, to a five-year-old. <laughs> so basically, farming as an act of itself, basically, you farm for food, basically for things that you you want or you need, right? which makes you whole, right? So yield farming is just, instead of food, you're farming for returns or yields or money, right? So in DeFi, that's what you that's that's basically the main purpose in DeFi right now is for you to use to basically exploit opportunities to make money, yeah, to farm your way and to collect those yields. But like in in the farming analogy, um, let let's say you plant something on a farm, that thing is gonna grow, right? But, but how is it going to grow? Because that, that growth needs to come from somewhere, right? So, like, there needs to be some, like, minerals coming from the soil and some sunlight. And some water. So, right. So, that's, that's, like, the big question in DeFi, right? Is, like, is like what's that sunlight and where is it? Like, because it doesn't just grow by magic, right? Like, it like, uh, has to come from, from somewhere. So, like, so like uh, where, where, is that, where is that energy and substance actually coming from that makes that thing grow? Yeah, yeah that, that's a good question. That. Yeah, so so you you need to ensure sustainability. Whatever in farming, whatever that you use is sustainable, right? And 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 in DeFi, as in we need to make sure because currently the way it works is that uh, to get those yields, it's fueled by two things, right? Which is basically more tokens of the protocol or the native tokens which is basically just emission, uh, uh, inflation, just like, you know. And the second is basically based on real economy, based on real value, like, for example, a profit sharing of trade revenues, right? So that is that is where a yield farming takes, you know, when you want to think of yield farming, the minerals that you, you want to use uh, to su- grow that sustainably and effectively, it must be from a source of, uh, you know, uh, a value-adding uh, substance, you know, or, or you, uh, sort of like, uh, for example, fertilizers, which are fertilizers which are rich in minerals. So those are the kinds of things that you look up, you seek up for in, in the traditional DeFi, sorry, in the DeFi space. 
Or I think of like the types of vegetables and fruits that you plant that produce a lot more seeds than they actually grow. Like strawberries, like every single one of those little black seeds inside of strawberries like can shed and make more strawberries. <laughs> yeah, but but I think the the important point here is 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 like exactly what Attica said is is like is like that that yield needs to come from something that actually is sustainable, right? There can be some inflation initially to like get the hype and to get people in, but but eventually if there's no if there's no substantial source of value, um and and that can be like lots of things, right? Maybe it can be like um like revenue sharing or it can be uh, I don't know, even like advertising revenue in a, in a game or like like some, something has to eventually be produced economically in order for that thing to be sustainable. And and I think that's that's a real lesson uh, and, and, and a warning that people should have in DeFi is like is like if you're if you're seeing some big APY and, and like all those kind of things, then then uh, check out like what is that what is that sunlight that's coming in? Is that is that a real sunlight or is that like a, a fake uh, source of, of yield? manufacturers? So. Yeah, is that a major concern amongst people in the DeFi space? Like, we don't have to call anybody out, but I, I have seen these like wild APYs, and I'm curious is that a, is that a, a conversation and a concern? Yeah, it is a concern well, because I, I obviously, think, I think that. Uh, sorry, sure. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a concern ahead, because yeah. uh, the way it's uh, it, it, if it's not predicated on real economic value, true value, then it's basically a Ponzi. So, I mean, then it affects everyone else, right? And it's gambling at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, okay. I, I think I think you have to be you have to be careful because like um if if an if an APY or, or a rate of return is very, very high, um it should it should give you some red flags and, and some concerns like where is this actually coming from? But like it's not necessarily an indication that that thing is is not good, right? Because it might just be that you're very early and and like people are still coming in and like you're ahead of the rush so like people are rushing in you're already in so like uh you you're getting rewarded for being early uh, and and i think that's that's like a legitimate reward uh, but if if you're seeing like you know something's running for like 2 years with like a 300% apy or something like that then after a while you have to question like where is this actually coming from like like you know we we we're seeing like we're seeing like so many you know millions or billions of dollars like coming into something um what economic um, growth is actually driving that? So I, I think you should be very careful with that. Yeah, just like having. Uh, sorry, uh, just like having twenty uh, percent uh, fixed return on on stable coins, that could be disastrous. I mean, Tara Luna. And so, what's the best way for people to research? You know, to dy dyor as they say in on Twitter. Like, what's the best way for people to? What are some reputable sources and ways that people can kind of do that R and D and know whether something is sustainable? Make that decision for themselves. It helps. There's a lot of resources. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, I think the most important uh, in, in term. I think instead of like leverage. Okay, definitely, there's a lot of good resources out there. You know, uh, but I think it's basically going back to basics on the building blocks of DeFi. So once you understand the way it operates, right, the, the modus operandi, then, you know, you can sort of like evaluate in terms of, okay, is this sustainable? Is this right? Does it make sense? Right? Then, the, and you, when you Google stuff, right, it's very easy for you to get the answers on, on how things operate, you know, simplification, explanation. 
what one thing one thing that I always try to do. Um, so this 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 also applies to like stocks, like like kind of Web two equities, right? So I've been investing since since pretty young age, and the first thing that I always try to understand is is like how does this company actually make money, right? So if it's Google, you're like ninety percent ad revenue, right? Um, Facebook is also mostly ad revenue. If it's if it's Apple, uh, you're like you're like uh, last time I checked, it's like seventy uh, percent iPhone, then like fifteen uh, percent iPad, which is basically like a big iPhone, and then you have like Mac and services, and like those kind of things, right? And you can actually see those things on the annual report. So so like if you're investing in Apple because you really like uh, I don't know Apple watches, then maybe that's not such a good idea because it's only like a very small part of their revenue, and and you're not okay. So so. When when you go into into DeFi or, or like into uh, crypto, I think that that's that same thing should still be true, right? Like, why does the thing I'm investing in have value? Where is that value actually coming from, right? So so on Ethereum, um, it's 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 basically like uh, it's a utility token, right? So people are doing transactions, they're paying gas fees in, in ETH, and and that's the value of of ETH. It's 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 more more or less a utility. Um, Bitcoin is more like gold, right? So it doesn't have any like direct source of revenue direct source of value it's just like what people think it's worth so you, you want to differentiate is this a utility or is this like a, a speculation vehicle and, and you want to be aware of that right because if it's a speculation vehicle if it goes to zero then you can't logic your way out of that like it just went to zero and and like you know that's it like like there's no reason why it should not be zero okay but then if you're if you're with a DeFi protocol there needs to be some actual revenue source so like how is this company making revenue how how is it making money so so like obviously with with stellar swap you're, you're making fees on transactions and that's coming revenue into the protocol um, and that's and that's being distributed somehow but you want to you want to actually map out the money like where is the money coming from like like to to every single dollar that's like involved in that company you want to map out like where is that money flowing from Cause, and and all that information is public you can you can figure that out so i, I would say unless you can actually write down on a piece of paper like where is all the money coming from in that protocol? You should you should really not invest. You should you should take the time and like map that out, or, or ask a friend to explain it to you if you don't, if you can't do it. And you said all that information is publicly available. So we're talking like the roadmaps, which are on the websites of all of these protocols. Um, where else is that information available? Will there one day be uh, annual reports on blockchain? <laughs> well, well, the 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 blockchain protocol is is public and, and the smart contract is public so in, in theory like you should be able to see how the money is flowing and and like let, so let's say it's just a, a matter of pulling like pulling all of that data can you pull it all at, at once and kind of look at it longitudinally or is it just a matter of kind of keeping well, up with it on a regular it's, basis it's probably it's probably going to come from the white paper i would say like like the white paper should say what is the revenue mechanism um but like if i if i had a company and i asked you like hey i want you to invest in my company and you asked me like how do you make money and i said like oh i don't know like like, like you're not going to invest in that company so so i think that same thing should <laughs> yeah. be true for a crypto protocol yeah i agree i definitely agree okay cool well we are at time we could talk about this forever and hopefully we can have you back atticus one day and you can tell us about you know where you are a year from now um but in the meantime one final question for you, Atticus, is how does somebody become the next master of Web3? Well, uh, I think uh, right now as in, uh, it's just continually to sort of like, what, the first thing is basically to recognize the potential of this space. 
right? To, to recognize the possibilities or basically, uh, yeah, the the opportunities of what can be done and what can be innovated or what can be created here. Right? Once you are aware of that, you know, and obviously there are a lot of beginning uh, as in resources for you to sort of like scale up, you know, your expertise and technical knowledge and then uh, try your way in building some stuff because the, the best part about this space is that, you know, it's open source, you know, uh, you can tap on community, uh, the, the the power of the community and you just continue to create stuff openly in a transparent manner, in a public manner and then just basically scale from there. So, that we are no short. There's no shortage of tools and resources for you to sort of like uh, uh, create and develop stuff. But I think that is one of the main ways for you to sort of like you know to see uh, to experience for yourself how to build something in Web three and how you can sort of like scale it and work together with other stakeholders to to basically compose across the space. I love that. That's great. Thank you so much. Sammy, do you want to add anything before we close? No, I think I think uh, Atticus uh, said it said it very well and and uh, you know it's it's been really great uh, speaking and, and like learning more about how how your app works and how how the users interact with it. I, I found it very fascinating. so thank you. Likewise, thanks everybody. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Masters of Web3, a Transac podcast. Stay connected with us by subscribing to the show, giving us a review, and sharing this episode with one of your friends on Twitter. We know you hang out there. (laughs) If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us to keep delivering the best and latest stories on blockchain technology right to your ears. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this has been Masters of Web3.